Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for those who, who may be new, my name's Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. It's my privilege. I get to open up the Bible and lead us through as we study it together. And, and this week we're turning to Jonah chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, head to Jonah chapter 4. We've been going through over the last month the book of Jonah, kind of examining uh, what did God do? What does that mean for us in the life of a man who was a messenger of God in ancient Israel? And, and today we're going to continue on in that. And, and today's passage is, it's the culmination of this book. It, it, we're right at the end and we're kind of coming to this place where there's some big questions, uh, some difficult things to, to wrestle through. And it's going to be for us today a uh, time to examine our hearts. And as we examine our hearts today, we're going to ask ourselves the question of what is our heart full of? And we're going to ask, is our heart full of anger or is our heart full of compassion? And those are the two different sort of hearts that we're going to see in the passage that we're reading about today. And uh, I think it's, it's suitable because I don't know if you've noticed, but there seems to be a lot of anger going on in the world today. Anyone feeling that? Anyone feeling sort of the division, the anger, the, the upset? It, it seems like everywhere you go, there's another reason to be angry. Seems like almost any conversation you get in, even with people you know well, uh, it's almost as if you're stepping into a landmine field, just waiting to, to find where that eruption might come. Uh, you know, it's just, it seems explosive lately, and, uh, and that's got me a little bit concerned. So I'm kind of glad that we're, we're coming to this place in Scripture because it addresses uh, anger, but it also uh, addresses sort of the solution to anger and some of what's going on in our world. So I'm very thankful for that. And of course, the solution to anger that we'll see in the text today is compassion. And while we see anger running rampant everywhere right now, I, I would argue that we maybe aren't seeing compassion flow quite as freely as it ought to. And so I'm worried because we as individuals, we as a society, we're sort of drinking the poison. Anger is a huge poison which eats away at us. It eats away at our heart, eats away at our souls, it eats away at our connection with uh, other human beings. <clears throat> and as we have that eat away at us, it doesn't leave a gap for good things, but rather it provides space for bitterness and resentment to grow. And as that bitterness and resentment grows within our hearts, what we actually experience is a sort of a deadening, a deadening of our response to the world around us, a, a numbness to the good things that are going on in the world and, and what God is doing. And so I would argue that we need to see more compassion rather than anger so we can uproot that bitterness, that resentment, that anger to experience all what God would have for us. And hopefully for those of us who are here today as followers of Jesus, we'd want to press into this because, of course, as people who have been saved by Christ for life with him, he calls us to live our life like him, and he lived a life that was full of joy but also full of compassion. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to compare and contrast a little bit two hearts that we see in the book of Jonah. In chapter 4 specifically, we see two hearts, the heart of Jonah and the heart of God. And we'll see that the Jonah has a real 
fire in him, and it is not a good one. He is just burning with anger and rage, so much so that he says, why don't I just die because I am so angry? And then we compare that to the heart of God, which is a heart that extends with compassion and love and mercy. And as we look at these things today, what I want each of us to ask ourselves is, which heart do I carry? Does my heart reflect the heart that Jonah has, or is my heart reflecting the heart that God has for his people? And as we look at those two things, also asking ourselves, so what needs to change? What needs to give? What needs to move in my life in order to experience this? Now, as we've been going through the book of Jonah, we've seen a lot of change and a lot of ups and downs through this. We've seen Joseph, uh, Jonah, who's this messenger from God. He's, he's called by God, and God says, I want you to go. I want you to leave Israel, and I want you to travel to the foreign empire of Assyria, and I want you to bring them a message. I want you to bring them a message that they have 40 days to change. And I want you to bring that message to tell them that if they don't change, the God of Israel is coming, and there will be a reckoning. And so go, and go see life's changed. And as we looked at last week, in, in chapter 3, the, the surprising does happen. People do respond to what Jonah comes and brings. And this is a massive change. I mean, this is uh, an empire that's known as one of the most notoriously violent empires through history. They're brutal. They're savage when they engage with other countries. They extort other nations for, for money and for, they do brain drains where they take resources. They displace families. They do all sorts of atrocious things. But these people when this prophet shows up, hear what, they, what he has to say, and they respond. And they respond by entering into a period of fasting and mourning. They enter into a time of praying to this God who they have learned about. And they, they do this all in hopes that God would relent from bringing the destruction that they have brought on to themselves. And so that's where we're picking up today. And so we're actually going to pick up at the, at the end of verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse 10, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, follow along in there. Otherwise, follow along on the screen. We read this. When God saw what they did, that's the people of Nineveh, fasting, mourning, turning to him, and, how they, and when he saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he didn't bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is, what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger, abounding in love, that you're a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord responded to him. He said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. 
Jonah wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Which Jonah replies, it is, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight, and should I then not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals. So we have sort of this, this end to the book, which is quite dramatic, and we have Jonah here, a, a bit like a petulant child. I mean, the guy is dramatic. He's just so ticked off at everything that happens. He said, just kill me now. Like, come on, God, I'm sick of it smite me. Like, this is just, it's not worth it. It's not worth going on. And, and, and that's such a strange response. I mean, God just did something incredible. God just moved through the city using Jonah. You would think that there would be this sense of relief. All these lives have been saved. Maybe there would be a bit of an attitude of gratitude where Jonah would sit and he would go, thank you, God, for using me. This is what you've called me to do, to be your messenger. And now you've gone and, and used me to bring the message to the Assyrian people so that they could be saved. But everyone's happy, except Jonah. Instead, we see Jonah on the outskirts of the city, and instead of relief, he just burns with this anger. And so what he does is in his burning with this anger, he starts kind of shouting at God. He, he has this time of prayer that we read about in verse 2 where we, we see Jonah say this. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord? Isn't this what I said when I was still at home? Isn't this what I tried to stop from happening by fleeing away from what you called me to do? I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were compassionate. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were abounding in love and that you're a God who relents from sending calamity. Isn't that kind of funny? I mean, he just lists all these lovely affirming statements about God, yet he's angry. And what's actually happening here is that, that Jonah's throwing in God's face who God is. Jonah's angry because God did exactly what he knew God would do. But what God did was exactly what Jonah did not want God to do. J to Jonah, the Ninevites are the enemy. And so he burns with contempt for them. He just absolutely hates them. They stand opposite of everything that he stands for. The God he worships, they worship other gods. The way they uh, express their, their national foreign policy, opposite to what he hopes for the nation of Israel. The way they live and treat other people, opposite with the Assyrians going out and slaughtering many in brutal ways. For, for Jonah... The Ninevites were up to no good. They are deserving of everything that should have come to them. Jonah was hoping that at the end of the 40 days, he would see, as we use in the old biblical language, a whole bunch of people get smote. That God would just come and he'd smite them. That he'd just bring a reckoning down. And, and Jonah's banking on this. He's like, woohoo, I love this. But what he doesn't love is what God does. And so he takes this list, this talking about the compassion, talking about the slow to anger, talking about the graciousness. And what he's doing is he's taking what God says about himself and spitting it in God's face. You see, for a per person from Israel 
Jonah would have known about what we know as the Bible passage, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And in that passage, what happens is we read about the scenario where God shows up to Moses. He reveals himself to the people that would become the nation of Israel, and he declares who he is. In Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, we read this, And he, that's God, passed in front of Moses, and God proclaimed this about himself. He said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents through the third and fourth generation. Jonah goes, God, I'm hoping for that last line here. I'm hoping that you're going to be the God who brings the guilt, does not leave the guilty unpunished, and I hope you punish him for generations to come. Bring it on. But instead, what does God do? God lives out this first part. He lives out this compassion, this graciousness, this being slow to anger, this abounding in love, this faithfulness. He maintains love to the thousand. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin because this is the heart of God. But Jonah's caught in this moment where he feels this tension between what he reads in Exodus and what he wants to experience with God. He looks at God as as if God's an oxymoron. How can you be just and wrathful and, and allow this evil to live and also be compassionate? Jonah doesn't like this. He has, he has an issue with this. And I think if we're honest, many of us probably have this issue with God as well. Oftentimes I find people end up in one side or the other. Some of us are like Jonah. And we look at the evil in the world. We look at the wrong. We look at all the things that go on and we go, God, how can you be a God of love and mercy? Why aren't you punishing these people? Why aren't you dealing with this? How can so much evil go on in the world if you are good? But then conversely, some of us are on the opposite end. How can God allow wrath and justice? How can God allow people to be separated from him? Why doesn't God just show a little bit of compassion? At least that is compassion in the way we would define it. But I'd encourage you that both of those views are wrong, and Jonah's actually way out to lunch here. Because what Jonah hasn't appreciated is the goodness of God. This expression that God is good or that there is a goodness to God is something that has been very profound for me because it actually has helped me to reconcile these two things. Goodness brings together these seemingly contradictory statements about the character of God. It helps me to understand that there's a nature to God, but there's also a heart to God. For instance, let's put it this way. Why must God punish sin? Well, in order for God to be good, he has to deal with evil. He can't overlook it. He can't allow it to go on forever. And so at some point, he must bring punishment. He must bring justice. He must enact something to be in control. At the same time, why doesn't God save everyone? Or why does God save people from their sin? If everyone is deserving of, of justice, if everyone is deserving of God's wrath because we are broken, we are sinful, we are rebellious people, why does God save them? Well, God saves them because to be perfectly good, he cannot desire the pain and suffering of the people he's created. And so for God to be perfectly good, both of these elements have to come into play. 
There has to be a level of justice, but there also has to be a level of compassion. And how I've started to understand this is is that there is a nature to God and then there is a heart to God. The nature of God is that he is holy. The word holy means that he's pure, he's blemish-free, he's set apart from anything that is wrong, evil, wicked, no good. And because of that, he cannot be in relationship with or connected to anything that exhibits any of those problems. And so God must stand as fully holy as fully good and judge what is wrong with the world. This is a part of his nature, who he is. But while God's nature is that, God also has a heart for the people he created. And that heart is a compassionate heart. And so God looks at us and he says, I want those people to be with me. I see value and purpose in each life that I have created. And so I will show them my compassion. Compassion is ultimately an an action. It's looking at the pain, the burden, the problem that exists in someone's life and acting to remove that, to help them deal with it, to relieve some of the pain. And so this is what God does. This is what God does to Nineveh. He sees that there's a problem. He sees that there's a burden. He sees that there's a pain. And so while he's just and he says, there's going to be consequence if this keeps going, he chooses compassion by sending Jonah to go. He says, I'm going to go and warn them and tell them how they can get themselves out of the situation so that they might receive the relenting of my wrath and justice. We see this still through the New Testament, and on in today, through the compassion that we receive through the person of Jesus and that he came to live and die and rise again so that we could be forgiven from our sin. Now, at this point in the book, we should, you, you would think Jonah would stop being angry. I mean, but at this point, you would think that Jonah would be thankful, that he'd sort of be an upbeat guy, you know. He's gone through a lot, but God has been pretty good to him because not only did God show compassion to Nineveh, God showed compassion to him. We see that God showed justice and compassion, right? When we were looking at chapter 2, we saw that when God called Jonah, he said, nope, (laughs) And after he had ran in chapter 1, we see that God sent a storm to deal with Jonah's rebellion. But when he had gone overboard and started drowning at sea, when Jonah called on him, God relented. And God saved Jonah from his rebellion. God did exactly for Jonah what he used Jonah to do with Nineveh. Up until this point, Jonah has received so much from God, but for some reason... He hasn't understood the posture of God's heart. He hasn't understood the the heart that he should have as one of God's people. And so what does God do? He gives him a little bit of an object lesson. And we read this in verse 6. We see that it says, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And the sun rose, and God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. So he says, would it be better for me to die than live? So God sends him some relief, takes it away, hoping that that maybe he's going to get something out of it. And Jonah just goes, ugh, I'm done. 
I'm done. I'd rather die. He still doesn't get it. And so, so God speaks. God addresses Jonah. He says in verse 9, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And Jonah, still like a, a petulant little toddler here, says, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And so God responds. And this is actually how the, the book closes with this powerful question and statement by God. He says, you have been concerned about this plant? You didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and then it was gone. You care about that? Should I not then have a concern over this great city of Nineveh in which there's more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? Now, I'll admit this is a bit of a, a strange object lesson, one which maybe none of us would try to use to teach with, but it gets weirder somehow because this is the end of the book. You know, if I was writing the book of Jonah, I would have ended chapter 3, verse 10. And God relented, and people moved on, right? Like, it's, it's the great end of the story. We see that jo uh, Jonah came. He finally did what God had called him to do. God showed his mercy. Wonderful. We could have closed the, the story. So why is there this chapter 4? Why is there all this extra detail? Well, I would encourage that God had it placed within his book so that we could use it to examine ourselves. The reality is the story of Jonah is never about Nineveh. Nineveh is an important part. God does something incredible there, but that's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to address the heart of God's people. It's to actually look at what is going inside of those who say that they worship God. This book challenges us to consider, is my heart full of anger like Jonah's or full of compassion like God's? Am I about what God's about or am I about what I'm all about and what I want to see in the world? This is what God is trying to give Jonah in, the, in those last moments. Jonah, or God challenges Jonah. He says, come on. After he sends this point, come on, listen to yourself. You're all excited about a plant and you want it to live, but there's 120,000 people that I created who are living in that city and you don't care about their destruction saying your heart is out of line where do you think my heart is though this book closes with that final question should i not be concerned now jonah doesn't answer this question and there, there's lots of debate to uh, amongst people about how we think he might have responded and we're not going to get in there today though it's a, a great question to wrestle with but i think what i what i appreciate about this is that it causes us to have a space to step into. Rather than listening to Jonah's response and analyzing this, we're left with the question, how would I answer God? What would I say to him in that situation? What about us? What about how we deal with people in this world, with these people that make us angry? Go ahead for just a second. Think about the person who makes you the most angry. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's a people group. How would you respond to God showing compassion to them? The question that we need to consider is, does my heart mirror God's or does it mirror Jonah's when I think about those with whom I disagree? or that I have anger, or hatred, or frustration with. Go on, really take a moment. 
Allow yourself to think, what's going on in my heart? Are you getting caught up in all the anger of the world right now? Do you find yourself just constantly fighting and frustrated, angry at people and situations? Are you harboring bitterness and resentment towards a a specific person or group of people? If you are, God asks, is it time for you to change? Will you adopt my heart? In June, or in the fall of 2019, the the compassionate heart of God was on display in in what I think is one of the most powerful ways that I have ever seen. And it took place in in the courtroom in Texas. The reason the people were gathered in in the courtroom on this day was because a a police officer uh, had gone into the wrong apartment and killed a man. You see, one day after work, Uh, This officer was returning home and she got into the elevator of her apartment building and she went up and she got off on the wrong floor. She walked down the hall and wasn't paying attention. She didn't need to pay attention to numbers or anything. This is her home. She knew exactly where to go and she opened the door to what she thought was her apartment. The problem was she was one floor down. And so after having this high-strung, crazy day, she saw a man in her apartment. She thought it was an intruder. She thought she was in danger. And so she shot and killed that man. Of course, she went to trial. And the family of this woman, uh, of of the gentleman who died, came and listened to this woman. They watched her. They analyzed her. And slowly, as they looked at her, their anger began to grow and grow. But the brother of the man who was shot sat there. And at first he sat with this huge amount of resentment and anger that this could possibly happen to his brother, that this wasn't just a done and sealed with case and he just burned and burned with anger until as a follower of Jesus, he came to the conviction that he was not supposed to carry that anger. And so this young man decides, he says, I need to let this go. And in fact, what I need to do is not just let go of this anger that's growing inside, but I need to adopt the heart of God and show compassion to my brother's killer. So let's take a moment and watch on the screens how this man showed the love and heart of God. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. 
because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. I don't know of a better example that I can think of of showing the compassionate heart of God. That boy had every right to stand up and demand justice, to say the words his brother said, to look at this woman with with contempt for, for killing his brother. But instead, he chose to act out of compassion, knowing the heart of God. He did everything that God does steps from a place he says I, I i don't i don't want this justice i want you to receive what you really need i want you to to have relationship and, and we see he extends his arms and he gives her a huge hug and he he extends relationship he brings her to what she truly needs which is a relationship with jesus no i have no idea what it took for that guy to get there like i, I cannot possibly imagine but this is what God invites us into. This is what God was, in, was challenging and inviting Jonah in on and by extension to us. Could you go as a follower of Jesus and bring that compassion to that person who you thought of, who you were so angry with? This is what God is asking you to do. This is how he wants to see more of his kingdom come, more of his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many of us today have so much anger. But where does that take us? Where does that leave us? Before we go today, I'd encourage you to ask yourself the question, what heart will I leave this place with? If you're feeling anger and content, bitterness, 
resentment, I would encourage you not to leave this place today until you have left it at the cross. Leave it at the only place that can deal with it all. I'd encourage you before you go to do two things and then to do one other as you go. And those three things are this. First, I think you need to pray for yourself. You need to invite the Holy Spirit in to begin to do a work in your heart, just like happened with that young man. What we hope happened with Jonah, you need to ask God to allow you to release the pain, the anger that you're experiencing, and instead of him allow you the eyes to see people in the way that he sees them. Second, I would encourage you to pray for the people you hold anger towards. Don't pray like Jonah hoping for their destruction, but instead pray like Jonah should have for the relief of the people whom you have anger with. Allow God to deal with it. Pray for them genuinely. It's not going to be easy at first, but as you step in and try to pray for them with compassion, like you would pray with compassion for those who are closest with you, what that does is also not just accomplish something which God will work through, but it will also begin to accomplish something in you. This has been one of the most profound ways for me to release anger. Because you know what I have found? That as I pray for others with compassion, it's really, really hard to hold anger and resentment. And finally, as we go, would we seek relationship so that we can extend compassion to all those we are angry with? You know, some of my closest friends are some people that I disagree with on about just about everything. We disagree socially, politically, economically, on all sorts of things. We do not see eye to eye. But what I have discovered is that as I come into relationship, I change. The anger goes. Doesn't mean we we get rid of standing for what was right. God didn't soften his heart towards the sin, but he did show compassion on the the sinner. And so we are just called to go and do the same. And as we do that, would we see the compassion flow? uprooting the bitterness in our hearts so that God can build more of his kingdom within us and within the lives of those who we love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this word. God, it's challenging. God, there's just so many people I know within my own life that I have harbored anger for 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 a long time. There's so many issues, God, that just get under my skin. God, it's just really easy to be angry. It's so much easier to be angry than to be compassionate. But Lord God, I see that your heart, that your heart is of love and mercy. God, that you have a tender heart towards those who are your enemies. And God, I just pray that you would work that within me. Holy Spirit, would you begin to to tear the anger out? And Lord, wherever there is a, a void there, would you fill it with your love and compassion? God, I pray for this church family. God, I know there's so many people who are here right now who are, are struggling with, with hurt and upset. God, there's been people who have done horrible, terrible things in their lives. God, there's people who, 
who, who, have, who have brought about things that deserve justice. But Lord God, I pray that in this moment now we would be able to, to release that hurt and pain to you, God, to receive healing from you, that we would see your great love for us and allow that to transform us from the inside out. And from that place, Lord, would we then be able to be people who go and extend compassion. God, we know that you saved us while we were still your enemies, and so we ask that you would do the same through us to our enemies. God, I pray that we would be a people who would be on the move in this city and around our province, around the country, around the world, who would live in such a way that we exemplify your heart. And God, through that, would more of your kingdom come, would more of your will be done, and would your name receive all the glory. And so, Lord, now as we return in response by singing these songs, God, I pray that you would allow these moments to peel away our anger and to build up within us exactly what you want. So, Holy Spirit, please do this work in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.